Objective journalism is one of the main reasons that American politics has been allowed to be so corrupt for so long. The illusion of objectivity doesn't allow us to embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 245 of Embrace the Void, where you always get to choose your void family. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we're talking about the politics of American radicalization. So, Let's make with the uncivil war. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in something. My guest this week is Jesse Dollimore, host of the Dollimore Daily on YouTube and co-host of the I Doubt It podcast with Brittany Page. Jesse, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. <laughs> Uh, it's good to be chatting with you, and it's if it sounds a little strange, if the void sounds a little different, it's because we are actually doing this in person. Uh, I have almost never done in-person recordings, but I'm hanging out with these folks this weekend, having lots of fun chats, and yeah, so weird to be staring face-to-face with somebody while having this conversation. It's really the only way to do it. It's pretty good. I don't. I see why people would enjoy it, if not for all of the other problems that might go into trying to make it happen but in this particular case it's all great because we just get to hang out all weekend and record some stuff there is a pandemic going on still despite the reporting otherwise right so for example (laughs) we were meant to do this two weeks ago and i got covid and then you got the covid yeah and i continue to have you know various forms of trauma and concern that i will every activity that i'm looking forward to will immediately be canceled by some sort of stuff so hopefully this will get out before we both die of whatever the next thing is. It's monkeypox, I'm told. Hopefully. That's what I hear. Hopefully. I'm, I'm also hopeful for that. You're excited about the monkeypox. Yeah, I'm excited to not... To have the episode before I die. I see, I see. Right. Yeah, because eventually... Right. Could be worth more if it was posthumous, though. Oh. More worth more to you. It's not going to help me very much. Right, it's not going to help either of us. We'll both be, <laughs> we'll be dead. So, Jesse, I'm excited to have you on to chat about sort of your work in politics and sort of political commentary. Maybe it would be helpful, though, to give folks a little bit of background on how we came came to ha- be having this conversation. You and I met at a hangout recently that was sort of orchestrated by a mutual of ours, and it, it, was, it was great. We ended up, you know, finding out that we had quite a lot of interests in common. We recorded an episode of your podcast talking about uh, various sorts of things on there, but I wanted to have you on to talk about sort of your personal experiences that got you into this thing that you are doing, being a professional YouTuber, which is pretty absurd. 
and I agree. Yeah, I think we can both agree <laughs> everything that we do here is absurd. Uh, but talk about like sort of what your goals are with doing that kind of stuff. Um, but to, so to get us started, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of your background and how you ended up, as I said, being a professional YouTuber? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it goes unsaid that it's the the path where I've arrived at is is only by luck. I mean, mm. almost exclusively, I believe, <laughs> by luck. This is either a call forward or a call back, depending. I think it'll probably be a call back to our episode on your show. So <laughs> that'll be right. it'll be great. And I I come by it though through a very circuitous route. I'm I'm now a, a pro progressive. You know, um, Elizabeth Warren's a border during the uh, 2020 election. Uh, ended up voting for Biden only by uh, you know last resort. Mm -hmm. But I didn't come by liberalism or or progressivism through birth or through the luck of of my parents being that way as well. I I grew up in northern Idaho in a fundamentalist evangelical uh, radical faith tradition, mm -hmm. and uh, was a Republican. My mom was a Trump delegate in Cleveland in 2016. That's the level of Republicanism. Very conspiracy minded. Believed the Clintons were murderers. Mm -hmm. You know, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Joined the Marine Corps and had a deconversion of faith where I, you know, no longer a religious person. And really started re-examining a lot of the things that I believe that were predicated, whether I knew it or not at the time, predicated upon my faith in, in the evangelical, Pentecostal, tongue-talking, dancing, raising your hands, Mm -hmm. nuttiness mm -hmm. the benny hen flavor of christianity if if your audience knows who benny hen is sure it's a bit of a deep cut but yeah, yeah so well, I'm well we'll see filled with deep cuts people can google Aaron. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like benny hill right it's the same basic thing it, in the comedy wise yeah in terms of benny slastic, hill yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh he's the guy who blows on crowds and they pass out ah uh, yes the he's sort the of... slain in the spirit yeah yeah, yeah 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 Laying so, so on I, of spirits. Yeah, that's right. So, mm -hmm. so I come from that, and it, it's been quite the journey coming out of it. And like I said, you know, some things that that I used to, that I've held to for, for many years, even after my, my conversion or, you know, loss of my faith, that I've had to really analyze. Do I believe that? Because that's just the way I always was told to believe, and or does that make sense? And and really kind of examine the utility of some of some of the the things that I believe. Yeah, let's let's talk a little about what you feel like was compelling to you and what stuck around the longest. So like you you know you said sort of Pentecostal, you talked about some of the kind of conspiracism during the period where you did believe in the things. Where how far into it did you feel like you were in terms of the things that you personally had internalized and do you feel like you had a sense of why those things felt really compelling to you at that time? What do you, what exactly, phrase it in a way that a dumb guy can, can understand <laughs> yeah, what you're so, saying. So I, mean, so, I mean, for example, <laughs> did you believe that the Clintons killed people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a, a, a cadre of conspiracy theories around them. The mm -hmm. Vince Foster stuff and the Mina Airfield that they were trafficking cocaine into and all of these different Arkansas, Arkansas state troopers who were, who were uh, tasked with protecting them ended up dead in these mysterious, you know, it's the same kind of nonsense that we're faced with today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did believe that stuff. So why did it not feel like nonsense then? Well, one, I was young. Mm -hmm. And when you were raised being told that the sky is purple, mm -hmm. you 
you just buy it. It's it's just what it is. And everybody who says it's blue is just they're wrong. They're liberal. They're they're the out group. They're mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was probably later than I would you know I that I I'm comfortable admitting. But you know, twenty late twenties is when I really came out of it. And some of the things though, mm-hmm. I guess to, to I'm shifting here. But some of the things that 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 have always held true with me are like equality issues. Like even as a Republican, when I was still calling myself a Republican, I was a proponent of um, marriage equality, mm-hmm. which it was way out of step. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you think that was different for you? I don't know. I think just that people are, we are all equal. You know, Thomas Jefferson's words, even though he didn't live them, um, mm-hmm. they meant something to me mm-hmm. that although the endowed by our creator part kind of went away, that mm-hmm. we are all, we, we should enjoy equality. Did that have, so one, one thing I'm always curious about is like when someone changes their position in a substantial way, you know, what sort of catalyst or series of events and was it like, were there things like your, your sense of equality being important that was like the crack in the dam that slowly you know, erodes away your position and, and then you suddenly shift or you, how, how do you feel like your transition happened moving left and like what was, what was sort of driving it? Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to rely upon the, the old common trope, the cliche that I didn't leave the Republican party, the Republican party left me, uh-huh. but the Republican party certainly has gotten more and more. It's always been a radical organization or not always, but since the Southern strategy, Mm-hmm. Since Reagan announced his candidacy in 1980 in Mississippi, mm-hmm. the Californian did. They did that for a reason. So the, the party has certainly attached itself to religion and the, the religious right, Ralph Reed and, and Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, these types. So it did get more radical. But when they, the culture war stuff that has really become entrenched in Republican policy, not policy, because they don't really fucking have policy. Um... When that stuff started, it hastened my exit. Like, it made it very easy for me to be, this is nothing that I want to have anything to do with. And then what really cemented it was, one, my my life partner and mm-hmm. podcast co-host, Brittany Page, is mm-hmm. a liberal and, and was, I should say. And when we started doing the podcast eight years ago, we had to, we were dedicated to the prospect of backing up the shit that we said. Mm-hmm. And when you need to provide evidence for the things you believe and say, you know your feelies and your beliefs about things. They, are there they some like challenged. really? Are there some awkward early episodes where you were still holding on to some fairly conservative stuff, and she was giving you pushback? Yeah, and maybe. I mean, I was. I've always, and I still find myself. This is a problem that I that I'm. I have a hold of. Uh huh. But I still have a tendency to romanticize libertarianism. Mm. And I, I phrase it like that on purpose because I'm not a libertarian. Um, we would need some kind of a weird utopic society for it to actually work. And we don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People are fucking bad and self-interested and uh, looking to uh, make a target out of somebody and hurt mm-hmm. them and harm them for their own benefit, for their own um, enrichment. Mm-hmm. And that's why libertarianism is just fucking wrong and bad. And I'll, I'll, in, in defense of some of, we have some libertarian listeners who, you know, take a position that there's a better version of libertarianism that 
but I understand the... Con- yeah, well, like, there's people who, who make the argument that there's a better version of communism, too, but we haven't fucking seen it yet. Well, I think what we can say, what we can say is there's a, there's a lot of bad versions that seem to be running around and you experienced. So, so you know... Sorry to all my comrades out there. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> this actually relates to something else I was wanted to ask you about there because you talked about the Southern strategy and, you know, sometimes when I talk about the Southern strategy, I get accused of, of it being fake, of it you know sort of being over exaggerated and um it almost being a conspiracy theory in itself and so i'm curious you know what was your experience from the inside when you were growing up in conservatism of what makes you believe that like the southern strategy is a real thing that like was a serious issue well i probably would have denied it early on as a young adult and and as a republican then but it's it was always a thing where like for instance let, let me see well one lee atwater spelled it out there's there's tape i've done videos on youtube of about the southern strategy because dum dum candace owens is like oh, that's a myth it didn't happen well yeah well it fucking did i mean we have evidence of it right well like, there, there's, just look there's, at the maps. there's quotes right but we can always say they weren't actually successful at it or that wasn't everyone or you know there's always like right. ca- you know attempts to but lee atwater who by the way was a compatriot of both roger stone and paul manafort i don't know if you know that oh no i didn't know the manafort like, one well, they were in business together oh, they, see, they are they see, were conspiracy theories you're just, just gonna lo- webs of yeah, but it's uh, not a conspiracy they they were business partners I, they pol- I know, political consulting I know. firm so anyway there's all these quotes of him when he, a, a journalist came and did interviews with him that he didn't think were going to be made public mm-hmm. and he talked about mm-hmm. look we're going to talk about busing, but we're not going to say it's because of black people. We're going to say this other thing that's now what, what, what we commonly refer to as like a dog whistle. Right. We're going to talk about welfare. We're going to talk about these things that only really are being talked about because they impact the black community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, But do you feel like you lived that in terms of the language around you followed what's being described in that quote or... How, is it, how did it look from the inside? Well, I was raised in northern Idaho. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't raised in the south, but still some of the pernicious racial ideas absolutely were disseminated. Um, I was told by my parents, by my stepdad, that black people have a different skeletal structure than white people. Yeah, and we should also be clear, it wasn't disseminated from the south. The white was, the north was always as racist as the south. Oh, and, right. and part of the, like, rewriting of the southern, the Civil War story is that, like, we pretend that the north wasn't also super racist and I anti-black mean, people, but yes. Not to do derail us, but even white liberals in New York right. promulgated segregation. Mm-hmm. These NIMBY motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's the thing that Martin Luther King warned us about, that it's really the real danger mm-hmm. is the white moderate. Well, yeah, and we were all, we were talking earlier about um, sundown towns, which are towns that are violently enforced, all white towns that sort of occur as, you know, formerly enslaved people are trying to move to different parts of, of the country. And almost all of the sundown towns are in the north. Because those are the places where the people are like trying to keep their areas white in a way that the South is not, because the South was still largely dependent on labor and right. had different relations in a sense with those black communities. Um, so, yeah, you know. So sorry, I didn't want to sidetrack you there, but I, yeah, go ahead talk about about well, the, Idaho, the Southern strategy. You know, raised in Northern Idaho with a fondness, uh, 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 fondness. I think is the, the most apt term for for what we we didn't talk about as white supremacists or white separatists, but we 
admired them from afar for their opposition to our tyrannical government. You know, the, the Randy Weaver types. Yeah, you mentioned in particular that you grew up near where Ruby Ridge happens, which for folks who aren't familiar with too much of this history, Ruby Ridge is the precursor to Waco, which is like the precursor to Oklahoma City. An- another reason why Bill Clinton was the devil. Right, and and did y'all talk in particular about like the gun ban? The assault weapons ban was something that I've, I've heard it was often sort of a touchstone for how the Clintons were going to come and oppress everyone yeah well when i was still when i still considered myself a republican i i was like a fan of like uh, g gordon liddy mm-hmm. who was a watergate break-in artist who ended up going to prison for contempt of congress he wouldn't rat on his fellow compatriots and uh he was one of those like assault weapon like for a long time i demonized john Kasich mm-hmm. for the wrong reasons even though these certainly there's a lot there to demonize but john Kasich was the the chairman of the the, the commerce committee and and he went back on his word to ban, he voted for the assault weapons ban and i thought that was just so terrible mm-hmm. um but yeah absolutely second amendment fetishization the, the fetishization of guns all of that i mean that's the when the meme is is drawn of the Republican type in Northern Idaho, that was my family. What did your family say about Oklahoma City when it happened? Did they talk about it much? Well, I was in the Marine Corps when that happened, so we didn't have a lot of... Uh, I don't remember having like discussions about it, but certainly there was sympathy for not McVeigh because you know he killed the children and all that. This, this horrible, uh, unthinkable domestic terrorism. And so we wouldn't have... There wouldn't have been like, yeah, good for you, Timmy. Mm-hmm. But certainly, like the the Nutter abortion bomber guy who absconded to the woods from North Carolina. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He was someone who would have been very much admired. And like Bundy, these days, the guy who does like the standoffs at the ranch. Oh, well, I of. have family members right now I won't name uh, who are. Very big supporters of his candidacy in Idaho. Like he's like he's a patriot. That man is a he is doing the Lord's work. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And he's a fucking domestic terrorism terror, mm-hmm. terrorist. Yeah, he's yeah, terror for sure, for sure. So you know, you grew up in that background. You joined the Marines. You said you mentioned that you were in the Marines while Oklahoma City happened. Mm-hmm. Sort of what was your experience in the Marines? That a you said it it sort of de-Christianized you, um, but also, like, were you still, were you wrestling with those conspiracies at the same time, and what was that like in that environment? Yeah, you know, I had a a very good time in the Marine Corps. I don't look Mm -hmm. back uh, with ill, ill emotion or memory of it. I I, I really, I I had a good time. I excelled. I did very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly was still conservative. I certainly uh, ran my mouth, and I was in Clinton's core. I, you know, I made jokes about being the, my commander in chief, being a, a draft dodger. And um, as far as the conspiracism, I think I, I think m- some rational thoughts started creeping in sometime then. I don't like I don't have a lock on the timeline, but I got a little older. You know, you're you, you enter your twenties, um, and you start thinking a little bit more clearly. Maybe it was the fact that I had been removed from my parents and that pernicious influence, mm-hmm. uh, and I was living on my own and influencing or, or experiencing the world um, with, you know, black Marines and Hispanic Marines and Asian Marines, like people who have lived a different life and have a different experience and worldview than I did. Yeah. Which was a gift. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that I wanted to touch on because... 
you know, I think a lot of folks are worried these days that places like the military are, are like, you know, Timothy McVeigh, it wasn't necessarily radicalized in the military, but like talked about going there to get training. And there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's a concerns about veterans in particular being targets of radicalization when they come back, especially if they're very real concern now for sure. Right. And when they're in vulnerable positions in particular, cause that's, that's who you target when you're trying to radicalize people. So it's, you know, for folks like me who aren't going to ever be in the military, trying to understand sort of what it's like in, in the military in terms of like, are they passing around, you know, conspiracy theories? Mm. Are you being reinforced in that direction? Or is it like you're saying more where most people are having a de-radicalizing experience more than anything because they're just having more experiences that mix up their understanding of it? Yeah, I don't know. My experience, I can really only speak to that. And, mm. and it was, I didn't experience that. I, I didn't experience... Um, uh, the passing around of literature or hushed tones about white supremacy, none of that. I think that is more of a problem now, if I was to guess, it's because of the fact that some of these talking points, the things that used to be whispered in quiet uh, in, in, in similar company like white supremacy groups, mm-hmm. the things that were quietly talked about are now being broadcast every night on Tucker Carlson's show, The Great Replacement Theory, White Genocide, all of this sinister ideology is now open and common. There's no need for dog whistles. They can just be fucking Nazis right out in the open. Yeah, and so given what the people that you knew and continue to know, like, what what do you think is an appropriate level of concern about that language? So, like, you know, when you do the conspiracism and the moral panic stuff, it's always very awkward to try to gauge what's the right amount of being worried about something because you yeah. don't want to be the thing you're trying to avoid, which is the moral panicky, exaggerated fear of X, Y, Z, especially yeah. if that leads to an over crackdown that then promotes, you know, problematic behavior. So how do you how do you balance those kinds of concerns? It is something I struggle with and think about a lot because on YouTube, I'm incentivized being a YouTuber to to title my videos in the most clicky, alarming way, to put thumbnails on my videos that are the most clicky and, and alarmist. Mm-hmm. Now, my, my channel hasn't grown as quickly as I absolutely could have had it grow, grow because I don't play into those games as much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not perfect. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's going to work, so you do it. But... um. To answer the question specifically about how much alarm and not to get trapped in this, the, the, the fear mongering or the, the, the conspiracism of it, mm-hmm. I think the answer would be I would look to entities like the Federal Bureau of Investigation, not exactly a progressive organization, has a terrible history of oppression and violation of people's constitutional rights and all of that, the black bag bullshit, the fucking J. Edgar, all of that. Christopher Ray in 2018 came out and said the number one domestic terrorism threat in the United States right now is white supremacy. So mm-hmm. if they're saying it, I don't feel that it's alarmism or moral panic stuff to to sound the alarm. Okay, so let me play Alex Jones advocate here for a second, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ, no. what is happening? Right. <laughs> Well, no, so this is an important thing where in the 90s and and going forward, you see conservative conspiracism become anti-governmental more openly where it's like the FBI is the bad guys. The CIA are infiltrating conservative groups and paramilitary groups and stuff. And so 
to them, that's not evidence of anything, right? That's just proof that, like, they're right, that, like, those groups have used the law to criminalize their justified concern about government overreach, thereby proving their justified concern about government overreach. Yeah, yeah, except for the fact that that kind of falls apart to a degree when you look at the history of law enforcement, that they are, it is steeped in white supremacy. It's, it, it's an organized group of individuals whose, whose infancy was created for the, the, the returning of escaped slaves. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. their, their mission statement is, is founded on uh, teaming with white supremacists. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, of course, your, your white supremacy groups, people uh, like my parents who, who uh, give space to these people and ignore the most sinister parts of what they believe, they would say, that the government, uh, jackbooted, armed agents of the state, which is still a, a turn of phrase that I use and I'm fond of. Mm-hmm. Black um, helicopters. So yeah, nice. but, but you know, it's a two-edged sword to use a, a, a tired fucking cliche mm-hmm. that they are opposed to the government, but they also rely upon that same government through the FBI and these other, um, you know, alphabet soup agencies mm-hmm. to to further their agendas. Mm-hmm. Whether that be the ATF, they hate the ATF, but there's all kinds of three percenters and oath keepers and radicals in the ranks of these federal law enforcement agencies. There just mm-hmm. is. It's just it, we're finding out more and more and more as time goes on just how many there are. Mm-hmm. So do you stay are you still connected to people where you feel like you have a sense of like in real time? how things like January 6th are being, you know, perceived, reacted to, where you feel like this energy is going in the, like, you know, going into the next presidential election space? Not actively. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't have any contact. I'm... A weakness of mine is that I cannot abide racism. I can't break bread with racists. I do everything in my power to not commune with Trump supporters mm-hmm. because they are, they're vile. You're either, you know, the, the, the old saying that I repeat that I didn't make up, but it's, it's catchy and I like it, is that you're either, with, racism wasn't a deal breaker for you if you voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not a racist, but uh, mm-hmm. it sure wasn't uh, a motivating factor for you not to vote for him. Right, and I think some of the studies came to find that, like, it was a, a better predictor than other things than socioeconomic angst or whatever the fuck they said. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so no, I don't, I don't have a a map where I can like follow a a group of individuals that I know who are in the movement, Mm -hmm. but I know enough about having come out of it Mm -hmm. that I can identify with. I mean, my wife's ex-boyfriend from high school Mm -hmm. was the dipshit who scaled down the Senate chamber and sat in the, in the presiding officer's chair. Mm -hmm. So we, I'm close enough to this, having grown up in it, mm-hmm. that while I was shocked by what took place on January 6th, mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised. Right. What do you think are, like, level of... So I see a lot of folks saying, oh, you focus way too much on January 6th and not the Black Lives Matter riots sure. that took place before that. You know, why aren't we, you know, paying equal attention to all of these violent in the streets activities um and, and like 
on top of that, like, what do you feel like, what, what is the right way to think about what happened on January 6th and where that energy also is going next? Well, l- let me first address the, the, like the, the uprising that took place, um, the summer mm-hmm. of the George Floyd thing, the murder, mm-hmm. the murder of George Floyd. And I, I would say that, I think it's Martin Luther King that said uh, that riot is the language of the unheard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe that to be true. And I think there, there are some opportunists within groups that make things worse, you know, and you really only pay attention to the worst parts of shit that happens. But if the riot is the language of the unheard, it's certainly not a bunch of fucking white racists who aren't being heard. Mm-hmm. They're, they have the power. They are the, the, the majority of the country, and there's no... I'm not going to make a bunch of excuses for the insurrectionists because they're trying to disenfranchise 81-plus million Americans mm-hmm. by, by overturning a free and fair and settled American election through a bloody, deadly, violent usurpation of our Constitution and overthrow of the government. Mm-hmm. I, I just... Not a lot of... I mean, I know you're not knocking on the door to, to of my the heart, my heart for a little sympathy for these people, but but yeah, you know, one is one is fighting for rights. One group is fighting for rights, fighting for their very lives, mm-hmm. and the other is fighting to take away people's rights. Right. So and I, I draw a distinction there. Yeah, and I think so. Fuck the one group, and I'm on the team of the other. <laughs> and here's the thing: I agree with you in terms of the difference there up until, you know, my concern is I don't want there to be another January 6th, right? Well, it's too late. You think that's just, his ship has sailed? Yeah. So, and this is a problem that I have when it comes to the, like, how do we give advice, right? How do we talk about what goes next for society? Do we, because it always feels like it comes down to, like, we're telling the left you need to do X, Y, Z in order to, you know, convince the unreasonable right to adopt a particular perspective. Um, Is that really all there is left to do at this point? Or like, is even giving that advice pointless if just like the ship has sailed on right-wing extremism? How do we avoid fatalism here? Well, well, one, I'm not. I'm not, not, I'm not a cynic. I'm not a fatalist. I'm an optimist. I'm absolutely. If I get fucking made fun of because I'm an optimistic guy, mm-hmm. I think there are the best days for our nation and our world are ahead of us, mm-hmm. but it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. And that's the place we are because we have one, a generation of political activists, let's say, people who, who who were coronated into understanding politics or having any interest in politics with having Donald Trump, for instance, the Buffalo shooter mm-hmm. was 13 years old when Donald Trump started running for office. So to this kid, when he was a kid, he's a man, mm-hmm. when he was growing up and, and finding his feet and seeing what the, the political landscape is like in America... He thinks this is fucking normal. He thinks the insurrection is just a thing that happens. He thinks Donald Trump is a normal politician who just operates like all politicians. Mm-hmm. And the, I think one of the most major problems we have that we're facing right now is the fact that we're going to have to deprogram showing p- decency among our leaders. Mm-hmm. We just have to find some decent leaders to show them. But there's this whole segment of our population who now thinks this is normal yeah and you mentioned deprogramming and that's 
like something that comes up a lot when we're talking about the right is that it is very cultish in its current incarnation. You know, deprogramming one individual is hard. Like getting one person out is hard. You're talking about, you know, a quarter to a third of our population. Is there like a path to deprogramming with a system that's sort of got that much size and inertia, you know, with, with such a heavily built ecosystem of, you know, information isolation at that point? Yeah, I, you know, I I don't have the answer to that yeah. question, but I can tell you this that I do I make a concerted effort mm-hmm. to address Republicans in not every video because not it doesn't come up every time, but lately I've been doing a thing where I'm like, and if you're a Republican, mm-hmm. this has to bother you because XYZ. These are the things that I used to be a Republican. This would have dri- this is why I couldn't vote for Donald Trump because I mean it, it is anathema to the things you claim you believe. And I believe it or not, I actually get a lot of emails from people who said, I voted for Trump in 2016 mm-hmm. and you were a piece, I'm not taking full credit, but you were a piece of me not voting for him in 2020 and realizing the error of my way. And I'm now a Democrat or I'm now, you know, I consider a lot more liberal type policies. Do you have... Do you feel like there are specific arguments you hear coming back to you from those folks that seem to be like particularly effective when trying to, you know, bring them along in that way? Yeah, you know what? I, what I really try to do is like, for instance, I advocate for reparations mm-hmm. for uh, America, the descendants of of, of slavery, mm-hmm. and. I talk about the things that really touched me when I'm getting into like emotional religious talk here. They really touched my soul. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the things that really moved me and, and that made it make sense to me that, that blacks have had an almost singularly terrible experience being in America. Mm-hmm. And there are other groups that are fucking terrible. I'm not going to enter into, you know, tragedy Olympics right now, but um, the things that convinced me, I really try to focus on because I think if it worked for me, the things that I've learned over the course of you know my however many years, uh, it's got to work for somebody else. And do you, like are there specific things that you feel like you specific moments or arguments or was there something that was what started to shift you farther to the left, like? You said you mentioned the equality stuff earlier. Do you feel like it was just sort of the thinking more about the implications of that for more issues? Or? Yeah, I do. I do think that. I think that, uh, for instance, we'll just use the you know uh, um, equality and equity issues for for Black Americans. And the, having been a veteran, um, our being a veteran, having been in the Marine Corps, I there was a, a a litany of of benefits that were afforded me when I got out because I signed on the dotted line and I did my time and I earned these whatever. Mm-hmm. And learning as an adult, learning that after World War II, Levittown, New York is this giant subdivision planned community that was offered to at low mortgage rates and guaranteed loans for white veterans. Mm-hmm. And the stipulation in the homeowners association and the and the 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 rules the the covenants and whatever it's called stipulated explicitly mm-hmm. no blacks. So black people who served their country, who died, mm-hmm. their families were not 
uh, afforded the same benefits as equally patriotic, equally sacrificing white people. And that, that when I learned it was like, what in the fuck? This is just from a camaraderie, they're my, my brother in arms. Mm-hmm. This is fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Then I started, what else? What else didn't I know before? What else didn't, wasn't I taught? And it just, it's just a, it's Niagara Falls of bullshit that gives you crashes down on your head. Do you remember how specifically you came across that information? Because I've had a weird experience of like, as I've been reading a bunch of like critical theory stuff in this PhD, learning a bunch of history that I wasn't taught in school and you know, realizing how easy it is to hide so much of history in a sense that like people learn about history for a while in high school and middle school. And then they mostly, unless they're history buffs, kind of don't think about a lot of stuff more. So like, where did you come across that information, especially for when you were a conservative? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I wish I wish I did, because that would be a piece of the puzzle of of how to extricate people from their terrible ideas. So it's interesting that you don't remember in the sense that, like, it isn't this, like, flash of lightning. Yeah, but really nothing is. There's no eureka. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the invention. Like, that's That doesn't really happen very often. I think right. that's more movie shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, I can say that I am. Maybe I'm I'm lucky enough to be intellectually curious in a way that some other people aren't. So mm-hmm. I'm, I do seek out, like I, I knew we were, we've talked about um, Greenwood. We've talked about Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's something I've known about for years and years and years. And a lot of people just learned about it from that fucking HBO show, you know? And, and like my, my best friend, who's not a dummy. Sure. He watched it and he's like, did you know that was real? I mean, yeah, fuck, yes, yes, I did know that was Another real. best friend besides me who didn't know of it until watching Watchmen for the first time. You're my new best friend. It's Aaron. okay, it's okay. <laughs> you can have multiple best friends, it's fine. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 I also highlight that because again, I loved history and learned a lot about history and still didn't learn about that until HBO taught me, which is horrifying. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's just an indictment of our system that we... Mm-hmm. It's just another. It's another another chink in the armor of of anybody who is claiming that systemic racism doesn't exist. Because even mm-hmm. in our, I mean, the, as much as they wail and whine and complain about critical race theory, it's the doom of all of, of us all. Really, the indoctrination is not teaching these elements of our history, so kids can fucking know mm-hmm. it's not all sweetness and lights. Mm-hmm. It's not all kumbaya moments with with pilgrims and native peoples. A lot of genocide, mm-hmm. a lot of blood was spilled to build the country we have today, and mm-hmm. we should fucking face that. Right. So you talked about sort of your sort of veteran status being a way that you can connect to people and people maybe more likely to listen to you if they're coming from that background as well. And you mentioned people sort of reaching out and saying, you know, you shifted me on stuff. Do you specifically think about yourself, uh, your work as being like, I want to be doing outreach to, because like we talked about earlier, that veterans are often at higher risk of a variety of predatory behaviors. Sure, yeah. Do you think about like, I want to be specifically helping them avoid slides into conspiracism and things like that by, you know, being a voice that they can hear that says that this is bullshit. Are you trying to, in the Bible, it talks about pouring, praying for those who hate you and persecute you. And it's like pour, pouring hot coals on their head. Is that what you're doing to me right now? You're, you're pouring on the fucking guilt. 
Oh, just you know, just wondering, you know, just like how do no, you how do you pay that look forward? I mean, I'm, I'm disconnected enough because I've been yeah. out of the Marine Corps since 1996, so mm-hmm. a long fucking time uh, that I'm not really connected to it as much anymore. I see, um, but it's not a bad idea. I was just curious if you hear from people who often highlight that as being a connection, you know, alongside saying, and I also voted for Biden. Yeah, well, I think like it, gives me, Marines, it gives me you know? a unique bit of street cred, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, I, I don't, <laughs> Brittany and I, when we meet new people here in D.C., right. we, they're like, oh, where are you from? Oh, well, we just moved from Orange County, California, but originally we're from Idaho, and mm-hmm. then we start to realize we need to say, we're not Republicans, by the way, uh-huh. because we both, we're tall white people yeah you've definitely got that Aryan brand yeah all of the markers sure. are yeah. are met to be mm-hmm. we could be Republicans and it wouldn't no one would bat an eye mm-hmm. <laughs> so um some of those things do to get back to the point uh, some of those things do give me like street cred like mm-hmm. like conservative white people street cred because I did serve in the military mm-hmm. you know it's 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 kind of a a common refrain that these pinko liberals, you know, they don't they don't serve, even though none of the fucking right wing politicians serve. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it gives me a little bit of a little juice. I think when you apply that juice, do you find there are certain issues where you still find it really hard to get traction with people on the right versus ones where you feel like you're? It, it is a little bit more like pushing on an open door. Recently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the as we move further on into the new dystopian existence that we live in, mm-hmm. uh, it is a little bit harder because some of the old rules, like you don't malign John McCain's service. He's only a hero because he was captured. I mm-hmm. like I like them who weren't captured. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a career ender, you know, uh, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You, you you wouldn't have Tucker Carlson questioning or impugning the integrity or the love of country of someone uh, like Tammy Duckworth from Missouri who lost her legs in combat. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have Tucker Carlson calling uh, Dan Crenshaw, who's a reprehensible human being, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't have an, you know, him calling him Patch McCain mm-hmm. and still have a fucking job. Mm-hmm. Things are a little different now, and uh, there's only a certain class of people, I think, that the juice really impacts and so you feel like they find it tasty aaron right do, do you <laughs> feel juice. do you feel the juice um do you take you buy the idea that like moderate republicans have mostly like you sort of been squeezed out of the party and that like what's left is a sort of highly activated but heavily difficult to reach sort of core or mm. yeah i think maybe so yeah yeah maybe so uh, I also think that just, you know, the whole, the classic Overton window has shifted and what, what really is a moderate Republican anymore? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We that's have, a great question. We have one in the White House, right, at least? Yeah, that, that's right. Right. <laughs> that's right. If I, if I remember how the crimes bill went and all of this. Many, many things. Yes. By the way, I know Joe Biden, very, very nice man. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, the 90s were a hell of a drug. Yeah. So you mentioned Tucker Carlson a couple of times, and I think he. It is important to understand the role, the degree to which I think he plays in making everything that we're talking about here substantially worse. And I guess I wonder how you think about, like, what are even the levers that we should have available to us 
to pull on when someone in a position like that is is you know promoting Alex Jones level conspiracy, like literally is promoting Alex Jones's content. Oh sense. yeah, well, no, you he, know, like in recent months, I don't know how much you follow Tucker Carlson, but has praised mm-hmm. Alex Jones oh, yes. on many occasions. I like, follow effusive, Knowledge Fight, so when people praise Alex Jones, praise yeah. for, for Alex Jones. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to take the mobilization of Americans. And I think we need to educate our fellow, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members, and really explain to them just how dangerous these ideas of white supremacy that are now commonplace are. Mm-hmm. And that just because he doesn't have, you know, whatever the color of shoelaces in his Doc Martens are, are for the racists and doesn't have the red suspenders and a skinhead and a fucking swastika tattoo, doesn't mean he's not a Nazi who's who's promulgating dangerous white supremacy conspiracy theories mm-hmm. that are radicalizing mass shooters and domestic terrorists mm-hmm. that have happened and ones that will happen. Mm-hmm. There are other people who were 13 years ago, 13, four, five years ago, who now believe Tucker Carlson is an emissary of the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to con- we need to convey to our 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 your friends who you consider normies, I guess, mm-hmm. that listen, we, like we could, if Tucker Carlson stopped having uh, sponsors on his show, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have a show. That's the nature of the 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 economic system we have in America, mm-hmm. and there's not enough pressure being brought to bear to mm-hmm. get the fuck rid of him. Mm-hmm. He needs to be canceled, Aaron. That's what I'm saying. You're cancel saying, you're culture, you're full, full endorsement. Cancel culture. <laughs> well, uh, this is a this is a tricky problem right now because there's a lot of interesting debate about does deplatforming, canceling, moderating, which are things that generally I, I'm in favor of. Do we have any grasp of the harms in terms of those people being? further isolated, driven into other spaces where they become more concentrated. Well, let's yeah. look at uh, uh, Alex Jones. Yeah. He was canceled by mm-hmm. Apple, by YouTube, by Facebook, by all of the major platforms, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he has lost mm-hmm. significant influence because the, he just doesn't have the reach. Listen, people are fucking lazy, brother. Mm-hmm. So... It's going to be difficult if you have to go a couple different clicks to get to his website rather than just to YouTube where you're mindlessly scrolling and watching Jesse Dollimore videos. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be harder and he's going to lose. Oh, I don't think it has zero positive effect. So I think this is a cost benefit question where mm-hmm. it's like containment has some degree of positive effect in terms of reducing his content getting directly to normies, right? But it also has a negative effect in terms of giving him cred as a person who's been canceled, you know, enticing people to support him. He got like a $1 million Bitcoin donation recently because like people, you know, view him as a martyr. And then we have the problem of like, yes, people aren't listening to Alex Jones as much, but they are listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan increasingly is just reproducing Alex Jones's content in a slightly safer format. So you think he filled the vacuum, right? Because he believes Alex Jones is right about many things. Yeah, so yeah. You, you have this problem of literally embraces him, right? So it's like, has Alex Jones actually been contained, or you know, like I'm pro, I'm absolutely blocking him off Twitter and all these sorts of things, and at the same time, I'm trying to like challenge my own thinking in terms of. You know, how much do we, how much are we actually able to contain any of this shit at this point? Or is it just like, 
it just you know if people like Joe Rogan continue to be like do we have to de, you know deplatform him so as are well? You, are you the cynic? Are are you the cynical one now? Because yeah, if if it doesn't eliminate the problem wholesale, do we just ignore, just let him be out there because we can't do anything about it? No, absolutely. I'm I'm for any. You're with me. There's no utility in cynicism, right? Um, I believe it serves no purpose, no no positive, like purpose. pure cynicism. Yeah, yeah, just no. for the sake of fucking. No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm just more like, you know, I think our goal is to help people and protect them from this content. I'm with you. And at the end of the day, we're trying to suss out what is the right mechanisms to achieve the consequences of the fewest number of people being radicalized. Yeah, I think there's too many moving parts to be able to to predict whether or not move removing him is or leaving him there is going to mm-hmm. be a better outcome because yeah, whatever mechanisms are surrounding, there's just so many moving parts that I think that it is best. I fervently believe it's just getting the fuck rid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like like a Tucker Carlson, you remove his audience and you're removing his power because he doesn't have a mm-hmm. megaphone. Tucker Carlson has the most popular cable news show in the history of cable news, not just the history of Fox. Right. He took over um, Bill O'Reilly's time slot and Bill O'Reilly was a juggernaut. Yeah, for sure. And he makes Bill O'Reilly look like he had a fucking cable access show. Mm-hmm. It is so fucking dangerous what, where we are right now in America with a guy like Tucker Carlson who's becoming, who's becoming, who's becoming a kingmaker. Mm-hmm. He's naming Ken. These are the ones to watch. These are the ones who are going to to fight for you and try to to put in place the policy. Uh, um, prescriptions that I talk about on a daily basis, on a nightly basis. There's yeah. a, a Senate, Senate candidate in Arizona right now. Yeah, and as you highlight, you know, he's been putting out great replacement conspiracism, and it doesn't appear to be suffering... For years. And, and like, I, this is a part where I think platforms need to take seriously the idea that if he's going to promote that content, that content shouldn't be allowed on Facebook and Twitter. Maybe his content shouldn't be allowed on Facebook and Twitter, like yeah. Alex Jones's, because it's just a sanitized version of those things. So, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to your conclusion that we can't do the cost benefit analysis enough to know like, what is the cost of taking Alex Jones off versus not. And so what we should do is make what seems to be a plausible bet and say the suffering that he, we know he's causing for every day him or Trump or someone like that is on Twitter is reasonably likely to be more than the double you know crypto down the line comp you know comp consequences of yeah, taking yeah. him off i think that that is a reasonable because yeah because we only have a, we only have two options there the, the fact of the matter is we can quantify mm-hmm. at least the, the cost of human life mm-hmm. damages that are being caused by the ideologies that he is is circulating mm-hmm. buffalo christchurch uh the the el paso shooter the 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 Tree of Life Synagogue, mm-hmm. Poway Synagogue, all of these, um, in one way or another, some direct, some explicit, some um, um, not so much, center around the Great Replacement Theory. Mm-hmm. That, and I'm sure your audience knows, but it is that the the Democratic Party, liberal elites, this cabal of Jews, I'm sure, are attempting to. I'm sure that that's what they believe. I'm not saying I'm sure it's the Jews. Oh, no. (laughs) If it's anybody, it's for sure the Jews. I know what you're up to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That they are are attempting to 
replace the electorate, the, the, the current defiant, liberty-loving electorate with a more docile, third-world-sourced um, brown, black and brown electorate who will dutifully vote Democrat. So they're mm-hmm. trying to change the, through demographic change, trying to change the voter base in America. And it is, it is like I said, something that was whispered about mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Like, oh, no, shoot. This is what they're up to. This is what they're, but they didn't talk about it in public. Mm-hmm. And now it's on Fox News every fucking night. Yeah. And this is something I've been wrestling with too recently where, you know, I personally remember like the, you know, the times when people said, oh, did you know that like white people are no longer going to be the overwhelming majority? They're going to be a plurality by this particular yeah. date. Even Elon Musk right now is whining about fucking birth rates and shit. Right. And they said it. And my initial thought was, Good. Who and, and fucking then, like, cares? And then, like, I found out that, like, angry white supremacists were, like, mad about it. And I was like, great. Well, you know why? It's because, oh, we're going to be treated like we've treated black people for generations. Right. Oh, fuck. I'm not down with that. It's just, it's it's a fucking, they're telling on themselves. Right, for sure. And and the, the thing I've come to nowadays, thinking looking back on that, even though I think, you know, I under, like, I was coming from a place of, you know, I was still a liberal, post-racial, wanted to live in a, you know, when race doesn't matter kind of world. And it seemed to me growing up in Virginia, there was one group that very, very clearly cared about race a little too much yeah, for everybody else. Sure. And those are the ones who, if they weren't in power, we wouldn't quite be having so many conversations about this issue. So it was just like good because this will change this conversation maybe. But now I'm in a place of like, you know, I don't feel bad that I was making cracks about you know, thank, thank, thankfully white people will be in the, you know, my, you know, plurality or whatever, <laughs> but like also, you know, we, these people are still stuck on a real fear about this and about this change. And we have to give them an escape route for their narratives so that they can feel not weird about having that fear and letting go of that fear. What does that look like? I you? don't know. <laughs> right. And like, there are weird places you can go where it means like, well, if other people are going to have ethnic identities that are, you know, coded for them, that are important for them, that they retain, you know, then the people who say that they want a white culture, is there like, is there any possible way to give them something that is not toxic? Like it's sort of like, it's sort of like toxic think, masculinity, right? I where it's think like, short of a white ethno state, they're not going to be satisfied, brother. I, I think these people are in it to fucking win it. Oh, I agree. A lot of them are. So my my thought is, so like let me let me make a comparison here to like toxic masculinity versus healthy masculinity, right? There's a movement to like give those individuals who care about feeling manly a manly alternative that isn't as you know, problematic is the one that came before it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you I know, don't understand these people, but... Well, yeah, and I personally am not, like, strongly attached to a masculine identity in a way where that makes a lot of sense for me, but I talk to yeah. enough people who are that, like, I want to have an option for them. And so it, it's, you know, we ha- we live in patriarchy. We just watch Roe v. Wade get overturned. Like, there's a lot of reason to see maleness and whiteness as being very similar in terms of their central role in oppression and such, right? So if we're trying to have a healthy kind of maleness, is there a healthy kind of white identity comparable to that? Or is it just like such a horribly toxic idea? That I don't just, know. Yeah. It, 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 I, and I know you're not conveying these ideas and I know your audience knows you're not, but you're verging on 
uh, like if you weren't you and I wasn't staring at you, right? Some of these words are almost David Dookie, like yeah. almost like we don't hate black people, we just love white people. We just look being Absolutely. proud of being white isn't racism, you yeah. know? It's yeah. So it oogs me out, and maybe I'm just I'm too much of a weakling mentally to 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 cope with some of these ideas. I mean, it's just it's it's that it is a voidy problem, right? Where I think that yeah. like we are in the void, Aaron. right? Well, like, what I think is the reason I think about this is because I think a lot of the people who end up being mass shooters and things are often coming from a place where they feel like they don't have a positive identity that they can connect to and they often are blaming other groups for depriving them of sure. that the white nationalists the the incels right right yeah, sure. and so you know you're trying to find a way and like what is the way to help them and maybe it isn't that maybe it's you know solving other stuff so they don't feel the need to have a white identity rather than giving them one that's positive but i do think it's like you know we we need to slowly uh, pull our you know um pull off the uh, off the lever of like dunking on these white christian nationalists who i think are the most dangerous people around us right now because this is you're this is an attack on me right now yeah, you're no, fucking yeah. attacking me yeah no i'm absolutely attacking you <laughs> i am sure cuz i do dunk on these fucking jackasses all the time yeah no and i'm going to continue to attack you some in the, in the, the <laughs> vip stuff um and and also with the enlightening round obviously here in a second since we are running um short on time but you know it's just it's it's stuff that i struggle with and i imagine that y'all do too because you know, given y'all's backgrounds, you know the human being element that's involved here, and dunking is a is a healthy way to cope with that history. Well, but also, you know, I look at it this way. A couple of years ago, I made a. Let uh, me get emotional. Um, <clears throat> I made a a New Year's resolution mm -hmm. that I was done punching down, mm -hmm. and I was going to make a concerted effort to fucking. To, I'm not like I was in the habit of punching down, but always, always I'm going to focus my energies on on punching up. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I don't, I don't get any heartburn over taking a shit on a racist, you know, mm -hmm. fuck mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not the, maybe the, the, maybe the utility is not necessarily there and demonstrable, uh, a, a demonstrative for, for um, a, a workable solution to lead people out. But I don't know. I, well, it's hard. I think the reality is you have you need different kinds of content for different people. Like you need people who you need content for people who are coming out of these places and need some of that punching to like help them feel, yeah. you know, empowered again yeah. after all that abuse. And then you also need content that's more like helping the people out of it who are coming out of it more reluctantly potentially or something like that. Yeah, I think there's more there's more benefit for me presenting as an ally and and having people of color know this mm -hmm. guy's he's he's good for us, mm -hmm. and you know I, I I think I'm far more talented at that. Virtue and signaling, I yeah, virtue signaling. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I'm I'm more I'm a you know I'm a I'm still a warrior in many ways, and and not afraid of the fight. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the team that I have chosen because it's the right team. Yeah, fair enough. So I always like to ask one last question before we do the torture part. Um, the torture part. 
You've been waterboarded before, right? In the Marines, I you actually know. have not, okay. but I, 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 uh, this is exactly I like that. understand the process. Similar, similar <laughs> concepts, pretty much exactly the same. Uh, before we get to that, though. I'm a little bigger than you. I don't know how you're going to be able to. Oh, I see. It's all psychological warfare. Uh, philosophical warfare, I suppose, technically speaking. Do you, Are there resources that particularly helped you in your sort of deconversion shifting process or... You know, I know you said there wasn't like one bolt of lightning kind of moment, but is there stuff that you often recommend when talking about these kind of issues to help people either understand where the the people are coming from or, you know, how to engage them? Yeah, you know, there's one, I think Twitter, as much as it does get dunked on, to use the phrase again, uh, is an invaluable resource. Mm -hmm. Um, One, there's a guy that I follow. uh, It's at ETV (laughs) pod. Just fantastic stuff coming out of that. Terrible. Awful. <laughs> um, spreading bad luck for everyone. There's there's a lady named um, Catherine Ballou or Kathleen Ballou. Mm-hmm. And she is an expert on white supremacy and white power movements. Um, th- that would be great. Uh, I think there's a, there's a litany of racial justice, social justice. Um, Ibram X. Kendi, you know, he's, there's, he's not perfect. No, none of these people are. Um, but you know, his, how to be anti-racist. Some of those, some of those books I think are solid. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a great jumping off point. You know, I love that you went from believing that Hillary Clinton had people killed to promoting Ibram X. Kendi books. Yeah. That's well, fuck man. It's quite uh, a, quite a shift from, from <laughs> look, people you know, can change neoliberal to neoliberal possibly, but still, you know, yeah. it's a, it, it's on the spectrum is farther along. <laughs> I, when you're when you're forced to start justifying, listen. If you truly believe in human rights, and yeah. I do, and uh-huh. I do, uh, there's only one way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, another six months. I've got friends that'll be like, in another six months, you're going to be calling us comrade. I'm like, ah, well, we'll fucking see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get you to socialism here eventually. But I, I think I'm there. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm a Medicare for all. I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. A, okay. I'm not quite as far as you. Like that last weekend. I know we're going long here, and I'll shut the fuck up. Oh no, you're fine. Talking about Medicare for all and making uh, an, a private me- um, alternative illegal, and mm-hmm. I'm not there. But you know, I'm. I'm a dutiful liberal. No, I understand. I understand. Which means that I'll, I'll make the torture as less torturous as I possibly can because you've already been mostly converted. <laughs> so this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. All right. For folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are those things real or not real? You don't get to hedge. You don't get to define what you mean by real. It's just real or not real. All right. Do you understand? Yeah, I don't like it, but yes. I'm really excited to do this. I haven't done this in person yet, so I've only had to get to torture people remotely. You get to see me fucking I get to really feel the discomfort. (laughs) This is exciting. So I don't get to define what's real. Just real or not real. Just real or not real. Mm -hmm. And am I going to be actively in the moment judged by the audience as they listen like this motherfucker? Oh, you will be absolutely canceled if you get the wrong answers. (laughs) On any of these. I welcome cancellation. Yeah. The stakes could not be higher. I need early retirement. Yeah, good, good. Right. <laughs> finally can get I on. I too fucking hard. Hey, you can finally get on Tucker. <laughs> That's right? right. Finally make it big. All right, so let me ask first, because this is a philosophy show, I have to check. This will probably sound more confusing to you. Is anything real? Yes. Okay, great. So let's find out what in the world actually is real. All right? First up, the external world, real or not real? Can I define, like, what? I don't know what external world the is. World like the world shit outside, like outside, out, my outside, front door? outside of your head. Real. Yeah, yeah. real. Uh, colors. 
real. Phenomenal consciousness. So inside your head. Oh. Real. Okay. Free will. Real. Selves or persons. Real. Genders. Real. Races. Not real. Species. Real. Morality. Real. Rights. Real. Knowledge. Real. God or gods. Not real. Society. Real. Money. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. Uh, uh, Wow, that's the one, huh? I was real. It's real. Okay. Goddamn. (laughs) Numbers. Real. Okay. Fictional characters. Real. Holes, like a hole in the ground. Real. Chairs. Real. (laughs) We were talking about that earlier. Sandwiches. Real. Science. Real. Natural laws. Real. Beauty. I'm going to say not real. Love. Real. Causality. I'm kind of dumb. I don't... I don't know. Cause and effect. Oh. Um, let's go with real. Okay. It's my gut. And finally, time. I'm, 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 I'm going not real. All right. Yeah. You survived. How do you that, feel? I mean, maybe that I'm just a fucking rube because almost everything is real to me. <laughs> that, you know, people are all over the spectrum on this, huh. so... Yeah, that's that's um, sh- surprisingly unsettling. Deeply that, that little exercise. Good. I, I always like when it works on non-philosophers that it also makes them uncomfortable. I am definitely a non-philosopher. You know, I think everyone is a philosopher, and I think you're a political philosopher. But I think you know it's a particular kind of. It was originally designed to torture philosophers, so it's always fun when it t- tortures. You know, casual, yeah, recreational philosophers, normies, normie philosophers. <laughs> no, this has been a lot of fun, Jesse. Do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff one more time before we head over to the bonus content? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, I host a, a YouTube show called the Dollamore Daily, and uh, that is a, an almost daily, several videos a day. Uh, and then I host a twice weekly podcast with my lovely, talented, and scholarly co-host Brittany Page called I Doubt It Podcast. And if you want to follow me on social media, I do not know why the fuck you would want to do that. But I am at Dollamore just about everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Yeah, and it's definitely all about that podcast because then you get to see his, hear his better half. And we'll, we'll chat with her. Without down, down a doubt, my yeah. better half. I think, not I think a, there's no debate whatsoever. Fuck, are you kidding yeah, me? Obviously not. I, uh, listen, I am an, it's an embarrassment of riches. Right. No, absolutely. For Totally so. So, all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and we'll chat a little bit more. And thanks, folks. Uh, stick around and, you know, listen in. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patrons, our newest voidling, David, and our newest avout, language guy, And as always, I'd like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Jay Aldenwalt, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, I Changed This Name at the Beginning of Winter, Dude Fix the Vote, That Bastard Neil Polzin, Chad T., 
and Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And all the thanks to our Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editors, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whatever your politics, you are the void and the void is you. Thank you.